Welcome to Sonic Talk number 309. I think I got the numbers right. So, yes, 309 it is. Um, uh, we're live this week again, but it's Tuesday. So if you're wondering what's happening tomorrow, um, there will be nothing in terms of a live show. It's today. I've tried to uh, publicise it as much as I've been, but I sort of went online and realised, where was the audience? There should be people here now. <laughs> and now I've fixed it, so there are. So uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, obviously, we're post-Messer. Uh, I can't do a live show tomorrow, um, and I'll tell you why a bit later on, because... Uh, it's it's marginally interesting, and I'm sure you'll be want to giving me lots and lots of of, of stick about it because <laughs> I'm I should be ashamed, but I'm not. I'm looking forward to it. Anyway, I want to say uh, welcome to my guest. We've got in the studio. We have Mr. Dave Spears with GeForceSoftware.com. Um, thanks for joining us, Dave. That's the first time. You're very welcome. Sorry, that's the first time I've heard SonicState.com theme tune in glorious surround sound stereo. Yeah. Normally it's down Skype and it's kind of... Yeah, it's a little better. It's good. Yeah, no, um, uh, Kent did a wonderful job on that. We might have to... I think we're going we're gonna to do some work on the theme tune, maybe uh, for coming into the winter season, but uh, more on that um, some other time, I think. Anyway, Dave, you came down here today driving your beautiful I DS. I brought my DS down. I've been hobnobbing with the stars. I called in to see your ex-employer, occasional employer. Yeah. Mr. Gregory. Rev- uh, well, yeah, removed a couple of synths from his possession. He'll probably never see them again. <laughs> and then I went to see somebody from Ultravox, which was great fun, who lives next door to Hugh Cornwell. So it's kind of, it's a bit, it's like Celebrity Street down here. Yeah, that's my DS. And Skype just quit. Now hold on one second. That'll be good. Um, but the live stream is still working, honestly. Ah, Okay. So, um, anyway, Dave, thank you very much for joining us. I'm just going to have to do a little bit of administration to get this going again. Yeah, you do that. I'll talk about driving at 50 miles an hour on the motorway for two hours to get here (laughs) to have Skype crash. (laughs) Sorry about that. So let's uh, continue, hopefully. Um, Things will continue. And, um, yeah, so we're back from Mesa. Um, but uh, first of all, we're also going to say hello to uh, other guests on Skype because I was unable to do so before it crashed. So if I come here, uh, I can, while you're talking, this is Mark Tinley. You can just see his head, but I'm going to uh, adjust that. So uh, Mark Tinley, who's over there in um, uh, in sunny great. Bedfordshire. Never Bedfordshire, yeah. Is that better? It's all right. I'm going to do it. Four it's... years, you still can't keep track of where Mark lives. Yeah, I know. It's bizarre, isn't it? I just... <laughs> I'm going to move to Glastonbury soon. Here we go. Yeah, really Look, there we go. That's Mark. Are you? I'll, oh, look, I'll move to Glastonbury and then I'll be able to come by the office randomly. It's like every week it's completely new information. That would be awesome. <laughs> anyway, Mark Tinley, likebeing.com, who's uh, sat there with um, a couple of crutches next to him, uh, recuperating. You've had a bit of a, um, a, a leg, not amputation. What have they done to you? No, I've got pro- I had problems with my Achilles tendon, so they decompressed one of them so far. And they're going to decompress the other one in a few weeks, which means they cut the thing open, take the tendon off, shave a massive lump of bone off the heel, and then nail the tendon back on again. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Which, that sounds like know, kind of medieval it hurts torture. Tendons <laughs> aren't going around the bloodstream, you know. <laughs> oh, man. That, is, that doesn't sound like a whole bunch of fun. But it's, like, it's feeling a lot better now. I, it does. It, 
the swelling's gone down and it does feel like it's going to operate wow. really well. I'm cu- you know what? I'm sort of feeling like I wish I hadn't asked. That's brilliant. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like every single grown man here just winced brilliantly, all in unison. Ow. Ow, ow, ow. Anyway, Mark, I'm very pleased to see that you're recuperating and, and, and hopefully feeling better. When are you going to be back on your feet then? Have they got a kind of, uh, have you got an ETA on that? I'm a specialist next, no, this Friday, and he's going to hopefully cut this bloody cast off and put a walking cast on. Wow. And then I think when I've got a walking cast, I'll be able to sort of rumble around a bit. I obviously won't, you know, have full use of it, but it, at least I won't be hopping which is just impossible right okay well I'm, i hope you feel a lot better soon and also i want to say mark of course uh, if you were listening last week you did the uh, interview with warren cucarulo and nick Rhodes. so i want to thank you very much for that that was great oh, and uh, well. seems to go down very well got a good got a lot of likes over 500 likes on facebook so you can get the record for the most wow. liked podcast Wow. I've been doing That's it for cool. four years no longer six years and it, you <laughs> you produce an episode and you oh, <laughs> outshine uh, me okay. that's the last I time I tell you I'm in it, Nick. anyway um, <laughs> and also, I want to say hey, hello mate. hello to uh, Mr Rich Hilton here I'm going to adjust slightly so if you, if you bear with me uh, there will be a bit of adjustment Rich Hilton of course is uh, Nile Rogers studio guy the man with the plan and also uh, plays in Chic um, on a regular basis. I think you're probably playing with Chic sometime quite soon, are you not, Rich? Well, I've just finished playing with Chic quite a bit. Um, so we're going to take a little bit of time now, and the next one, I think, is a few weeks away. But uh, we just... Let's see, where were we? We were in New York playing with Sam Moore and Sting. That was pretty cool. That's right. Somebody basically... Who did I meet? I think it's the guys from Ableton who were following you, and they said, say hi. Well, oh, I cool. Met, I met at Music Messer. Oh, nice. So, they were uh, great. Olav and, and the gang. So, yes. Anyway, well, Rich, thanks for joining us. I know this is unusual, a little unusual for a Tuesday, but uh, we are here. And, of course, the reason we're here on Tuesday is uh, because Music Messer has just been. There was no live show last week. I've just got back from Music Messer on Friday, uh, where me and the team were doing uh, what they do. I um, want to say thanks very much to all the guys on the team. That's uh, Rob and Rich and Trevor and Ed, the new guy Ed, um, who did a spectacular job of uh, recovering from a, a, a deep deep hangover on Friday morning. So, uh, you know, good good sort of 20-something trade show action from Ed there. I'm very pleased <laughs> that he's had that baptism of fire. Um, but, yeah, so uh, so it was kind of a big do um, and kind of fun. But, you know, I don't know if you've been able to see, uh, fortunately, all the technology work. Thanks very much to uh, uh, non-Eric from Muse Talk who shared uh, his uh, his office space with us so we were able to kind of work somewhere quiet and get the stuff done so uh, that's why um the videos were coming thick and fast i guess the first one i'm going to play this this is not the video we did but this is the video that korg did so uh you can probably guess what's coming Beats, Volca beats. Sorry. And there's also a Volca bass, which is always tweaking now. Good to hear healthy distortion and over driven signals in a, in a 
promotional video. That's the vibe, I think. Some people were speculating this might in fact be Dead Mouse. I don't know if that's true. And uh, I think you'll get onto this in a minute. There's the, uh, the right hand side uh, of the units is the Volca Keys, which bizarrely enough is a bloody free voice. That's the middle one, sorry about that. A free voice polysynth. Great video, use of lights there. Right, I'm going to stop that there. Um, actually, I, I wonder if this, the, the well, anyway, Dave. I've, I actually, um, when I posted this, because I saw them, I got into the show uh, early on the Wednesday morning because I was supposed to go to an avid breakfast appointment that I'd actually got written down as the wrong day in the diary. So that's why I was there so early. So I got some photos up and then I was able to get uh, there very quickly and see that it was true. And there was a very, uh, I, I think there was a bit of leakage beforehand, but we were out, so we didn't get a chance to see that. So this was... Uh, Kind of the news. I don't know, Dave. Um, Dave Spears over here. Um, there was plenty you of spillage, my end. I, I want can one. Tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a lot of leakage. Th- these things, basically, right. So we're talking three kind of. They're like min- monotribes on steroids, but only mm. single purpose. So there's a drum, a bass, and a keys, and they are all going to be. This is get this is about 120 quid, 150 euros. So I'm guessing 199 US dollars each which is a bit of a mind-blowing concept. In terms of price, I mean, it seems like kind of they've really gone a bit crazy for that. What do you think? I was blown away by this. Actually, I didn't watch much else because of this. I just kind of went... It's funny, as you know, we've been building studios and stuff, so we're nearly ready to start installing things, and I want to do this live jam thing, and we want to record it, and we want to put it out on the net and stuff like that. And uh, the one thing that's missing in the equation, we've got modulars, we've got all sorts of mad stuff, but the one thing that's been missing is... A drum machine so then we started looking at things like 808s second hand and they go for just obscene amounts of money what three grand yeah two five to three thousand pounds so that kind of put that out of the window and then it was like okay so what else could we use and blah blah, blah. and it's been frustrating me actually and then this video came along and i immediately just hit chris up on iChat and went we're getting four of those each <laughs> basically and that's just the drum machine i yeah I think, like everybody else, I was quite blown away by these. They sound great. They don't sound too bad. I mean, they're very... Uh, I mean, it's just an incredibly... Uh, it's a pretty bold move. I mean, obviously, Korg have been making analogue, kind of little analogue toy-type things for a while, so they've got the production sorted. Um, and it's just, you know, it just seems like a very cool thing. I'm guessing you, uh, Mark, you're probably thinking, ooh, because you're a bit of an acid head when it comes to sort of uh, beats and bass lines, right? Three yep. of those in a little case, you could just kind of like flip them open and do your thing wherever you feel like it. Well, I've um, started purchasing um, photographic equipment, lighting rigs and all that sort of stuff in the hope that you'll send them to me to review. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't promise you anything. Um, I might be able to give you a second, a secondary review, but yeah, we'll see how it goes. But yes, well, I don't think they're coming to the summer, mind. I mean, the... the Oh, I've got an echo. On yeah, there. I fixed it's it. Sorry about that. It's my fault. Oh, brilliant. It should be gone. Um, the drum machine. What does that look like? I mean, you look at it and you just think it's just so 808 styled, isn't it? Completely. And the little mono bass synth, that's a 303. It's just so that style. And then yeah. to have that other little, you know, the polyphonic kind of thing on there as well and to have them all like linked together. 
But then I, what, you know, what I think is clever is that they've got it so that it will link via the WIST technology into your iPad and your iPhone. So if that all works in the way it's sort of expected to, it could, it's just going to be unbelievably cool. And I really hope that drum sound comes back because I like those small electronic drums and things. I think, you know, I want to hear lots of music driven like that by that. Um, well, the the thing um, uh, Matt is asking in the chat room is there much difference between the keys and the bass? They both have three oscillators, so you can stack things up. And I um, I don't think you can play you can play the bass is as three separate lines, but you can't play chords on it. But the, yeah. the possibilities you start to think about it are very interesting. I know, Rich. I'm guessing um, as a sort of bona fide keyboard player, these probably don't excite you in terms of the physical keyboard aspect. But you can always plug a MIDI keyboard into it. I mean, little tiny. Imagine you can turn up with a sort of case. A whole bank, you know, th- say six of those three voice polysynths, and you could make some pretty interesting sounds out of that. I would have thought <laughs> they're nice. <coughs> Excuse me, that's all right. Take a moment. They're nice products, they look like fun. I liked your uh, characterization little analog toy things. <laughs> That's yeah, what they are, they and they're cool. Of, they kind of are, but I mean, the, and there's, you know, as usual, there's a huge debate as to whether or not they're toys, whether they can make anything meaningful. I mean, it's, you know, it's the usual thing. It's just well, not, you can make meaningful things with toys. Of course you can. Of course it's you can. not some sort of class distinction to me, but it is a rather accurate description of what these things are, and they're fun. They look like fun anyway. I haven't touched one. But no, cool. I, they, they, they are pretty nice. They've got that kind of, um, that, was it the Tip Top Audio who do the touch... I think it is the touch that they've got these kind of touch sensitive keys that are a bit like stylophones, but much more accurate than the monotribe. They've got rid of that ribbon thing. They're actually separate keys. So they're much oh, easier. Yeah? To, yeah. So they're much easier to play. Not like they're not physical keys, but separate physical locations for each key so that you can actually play a note on it more. You know, it's I not don't like, know if I like that idea better or not, but I, I have to play. I have to feel them as products, but it looks like cool stuff. I don't know. As as has been pointed out, I was immediately drawn to the idea of the 303 stuff and, like everybody else, like thought of the history of little devices to do this kind of thing. And uh, these are little devices. They look like, you know, I wonder if you could put one next to a tiny sizer if it would look right. Wow, yeah. I, I'm sure you use it as a master keyboard for your tiny size. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, I, they don't carry... Are you out there, Howie? <laughs> uh, I did actually see Howard uh, Scar at the Yuhi stand because that's another thing that came up, which was pretty interesting. Um, but perhaps more on that again later. But um, the thing about these things is, you know, every they just stole the show yet again. I mean, Korg seemed to have been able to steal the show kind of consistently for the last four trade shows, which is kind of with what people consider to be, you know, not especially. Uh, featured pieces of equipment, you know. I mean, obviously, Nam they did it with the MS Twenty Mini, and you know, this time there's oh, uh, there's these guys. I mean, that video on our site it had like thirty thousand views, like within twenty four hours. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. So people are obviously really interested, but it does polarize opinion. So what? But there was also the Korg Cross, um, which is uh, spelt with a K, which uh, although. Um, doesn't sound all that exciting it's actually it's very similar to the roland uh 
sort of VR09, which we did a Q&A thing with. In, in the, it's like meat and potato synth stuff, but they do a, a, an 88-key version, which actually has quite a nice feel to it and is portable and battery-powered and what have you, and that's kind of cool. But that's, again, slightly... Korga kind of shooting themselves, you know, in their ability to uh, eclipse themselves by releasing two good products at the same time, one of which will just sort of wipe out everything else. So that's the only problem there. But there were some good, other good things, but it, this did rather blot out all the other... <laughs> All the other things. Um, apart from, there's also the Base Station 2. So this was quite synthy. Uh, let's see, I might have a video for Base Station 2. Uh, I think, because uh, I filmed a couple of them. The, these are probably, yeah, Novation BS. There we go. That's probably not a great way to title a, a tile. So, But I did rather steal the thunder of... Uh, oops, that's the wrong one. The, Simon Halstead, behind the scenes uh, before Messer starts. I think I've caught you. At the Novation uh, Base Station 2, right? Yeah, you've caught me with one of only two units that we have out here, and these are engineering samples, uh, but they are representative of the final hardware unit, so they look exactly the same. The difference is that we don't have the final firmware on them yet, so I can't play you many of the sounds, but we'll have an idea of what it sounds like in a second. Now, before the show started, uh, we posted the news of that on the Monday before we went to Mesa, and that was a massive story. Everybody was just going mental for it. And uh, that's the base station 2, uh, which, again, is a three... It's a two-oscillator and sub-analog mono, and they say it is analog. I think there's digital control there. Uh, Two-octave keyboard with aftertouch, funnily enough, which is always nice to see. I think I'm going to be... Uh, the only problem is, is about aftertouch, because I always feel like you know people complain when I don't ask about it, and then when I do ask about it and it hasn't got it, there's a huge storm. I think I'm going to be the guy who says, <laughs> has it got aftertouch? It's just, I, feel, I feel almost hesitant to ask if something's got aftertouch, because I don't want to be that guy. I don't know. Dave, um, base station? Do you have a base station? No, I had one of the very first ones that was the rack thing wasn't it yeah base station they did a, a keyboard as well version ah yeah 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 actually yes yes because at one point unders were talking about using six of those live that was in the very 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 early days yes did muck about with that did like that uh didn't really get it's funny because i saw this and like you say you know the news kind of eclipsed everything else until the cork stuff came along well, what was interesting is I went. And I do frequent some of the very anal analog forums. Analog, analog forums. Yeah, <laughs> we'll refer to them as that from now on. And there was quite a lot of weird moaning and stuff going on about oh, it's a digitally generated square wave and it's not this and it's not that. And actually, it's really funny because as soon as the cork stuff was announced, there was no mention of anything. That all kind of got left behind. And I thought what was really fascinating is all of the kind of bitching and moaning got lost for these little gizmos of yeah. simplicity. Yeah, something that's kind of actually got some features and some proper synthesis parameters. Yeah. People are... Mo yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? I mean, I suppose the thing that was a little bit problematic in terms of, you know, timing of launches is that you can buy all three of the Korgs for the same price as... or a little bit less than the base station too, which is, you know, I, I mean... I don't know whether that has uh, any bearing, but that's that's a comparison that people have made. But it, it's quite. Um, it did sound very uh, interesting. The base station. I didn't get a chance to listen to much of it because the firmware wasn't in there. That to kind of all the features weren't working. So I'm guessing there is digital control of a lot of that stuff. So the knobs weren't doing what, and they all transmit MIDI CC and what have you. But 
Um, people were really are really excited about it. I mean, it used to be the sound of you know it was William yeah, Orbit, yeah, yeah. all of those kind of high uh, um, arpeggio sort of in, into reverb and delays that were done in the nineties were done on a lot of them were done on bass stations. We had bass. I had bass station. The guy I worked with. We had bass station. I think it was serial number one. For a while, that was a review copy. And in fact, I remember taking that up to this MIDI music show to give to the Underworld guys so that they could kind of play around with it to make a decision on whether they wanted to buy six because you could chain them together, couldn't you? And, and the original also had MIDI CV and Gate, which, uh, yeah. sorry, CV and Gate, which the this one doesn't, I'm guessing. I know, Rich, Base Station, Novation Base Station, does that feature, did that feature in your world when they, when they were out? Because, I mean, I suppose you were still working in kind of fairly top-end facilities where you just grab the Moog instead, whereas we all had to reach <laughs> for the Novation because that's all we could afford. I came across them once in a while. Wow, am I, am I distorting? I don't know. Are it you? sounds distorted in my ears. But anyway, um, I came across them once in a while. But I never, I don't even recall whether I ever actually physically used one. At some point, some software showed up, a, a software-based oh, yeah, station. Yeah. They also have um, yeah. And I don't think I ever used that either. No, but it sounded good when I heard it, and it, I, it's not because I wouldn't use it. It just—I never had a chance to. It just never came no, up. No, I understand. Well, I, I had the—I had a super bass station, I think. Which uh, all I remember about that Ooh, was that it uh, heard that about you. <laughs> all the only thing I remember about that is it had um, a really bad patch right thing where you had to press things in a certain order and if you did it wrong you ended up recalling it very easily so you just overwrite or, or wipe out what you've done on a, just over and over again it was fairly tedious i don't know mark what were your thoughts up that you kind of thrilled at the thought of a base I mean, it's nice that the kids are going to be able to get hold of one of these right is it or is it does it matter um i did have a base station and I think I had a base station rack as well. I yeah. had the rack and then the keyboard. And I can't remember which way round. Maybe I had the keyboard first and then changed to the rack because I wanted the audio input. But then I got some other really weird groove thing. This matte black kind of uh, uh, 303 emulator that had this filter that just kind of went way outside of that and went off and did all these really radical things. And it had all these little tiny micro... Um, micro pots inside i took it apart and found all these pots inside it and was able to tweak it and make it make you know quite extreme sounds i suppose oh, right. so um, what was I that, was that, that analog solutions i can't remember the life of me what it was called yeah 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 it was a black it was finished yeah. in that crackle finish that you get on like car radios and then it had moog style knobs on it but if you opened it up there was like all these extra filter controls in, inside it, like little micro pots, which you just get a jeweler's screwdriver and start swinging those around, and it just went <laughs> mental. <laughs> I, wish I, I, I know what it was you called. did. <laughs> I'm sure it was called something like a groove something or another, but it might not have been that. Oh, I don't know. It wasn't the fat one, the P-H-A-T-T. The, I'll see if I can remember what it was called. Okay. But, during I mean, the course of... This is a, it's still a, you know, the, the base station 2 is a really big deal. I mean, I, it must be, what, 20 years since the last one came out. Is it 21 years? Yeah. Oh, it's a fairly sort of major release. And, and they're really excited about it. So, I mean, I think, you know, it's some jolly good stuff going on there. But synth-wise, you know, there was also the MFB, which was really interesting. The, uh, oh, no, I'm not going to remember what it's called now. It was called the Dominion. I think I've got it here, actually. I can play you something quickly. This and this was again sort of pretty analog world. This is. Uh, I'm fine. Nice to see you. And, he's uh, always got his sunglasses on in the morning. 
And we are. Let's have a look. This is the Dominion. Yes, sure. I think he played By something. envelope or LFO. Double F. This looks really nice. It's very similar looking to the Camera uh, Bass. The trick with this Fully featured three oscillator type is, uh, business going on. Uh, is, uh, oh, deep six. Can be triggered or can be controlled by envelope or LFO as well. But the other thing they have, which is really cool, if I come here, is this drum machine. This is the, uh, the Tange from the I think I don't know how to This really does sound like a 308. A lot of uh, control. If you're after a drum machine, this is kind of much further up the food chain than one of the... Uh, Tans bar, yeah. It's, it, it's got, uh, I think it's got 12 voices. Anyway. I'm just throwing How much was that drum machine? 800 euros. Ooh. I think it was going to be. So, Rich, uh, did you get a chance to kind of take a look at the output? Because I've got, uh, basically, I've just got all the videos here that I can play. So if there's anything that you said that you kind of saw from the show that you thought, actually, that was pretty cool or not, then uh, I can throw it in there because it's, a, it's a, like a request show. <laughs> well, as I said, I'd been on the road for the last weeks and preparing for a guest concert. So I haven't been able to see very much beyond the initial avid announcement oh yes of course pro tools 11 that was a kind of a uh, it seemed like a pretty big deal i mean does it mean a lot to you uh, i mean it will because it of the will. I, I guess the thing because I, I spoke to uh david caridi i think is his name uh tony caridi tony caridi that's right um and uh um, my buddy i like tony he knows a guy. nice guy but it's really funny seeing well not funny funny for me seeing going over and then seeing the americans coming over to mesa and they're all completely zoned out because they're they're kind of having the same effect that we get when we go to Nam, and having to right. kind of come up with this. It's, it, I, I don't know how the hell he manages to manage to do it. He was very professional, actually. But there's a lot of oh, stuff. And he's very good, and yeah. he's been in this business a long time and worked for a lot of good companies. So he's Tony's great, so, and he lives near here, as a matter of fact. Okay, so in terms of Pro Tools 11, you know, what's the biggest kind of single? Is there a biggest single feature that you've gone? Ah, oh, thank goodness, you know, or you know, is, is well, it? Well, the whole thing was. Prophesized from top to bottom and foreseen, and there was vast amounts of money spent a little while ago to get the equipment that would justify the arrival of this day. So in our lives, so uh, is it surprising? No, it's exactly what I knew it would be. So I mean, one of the things that was quite of interesting was the uh, a level of um, oh what was he talking about? efficiency that they've now been able to introduce into the audio engine. Because one one thing he did say, apparently. you know. Apparently so, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's the case. But there were some neat things. One of the things that seemed quite neat is the the use of dual buffers, so a record buffer and a playback buffer. Yeah, that's wonder, a neat idea. I wonder if others... Isn't that already in Logic? Yeah, I wonder if others haven't been doing this forever. Well, that's what Most I thought. But this is catch-up. It sounded like, wow, that's a really great idea. I'm sure nobody else could do that, but actually now you come to mention it, it's probably done everywhere already in the first and, and, Well, the whole thing about, you see, offline bounce, which one of the chatties just... Uh, oh, hang on. About. Isn't that already in logic? <laughs> 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 the point is it's all already in all of the other software, and the reason why is because they were married to TDM and RTAS in a 32-bit architecture. And these cards wouldn't allow non-real-time events, apparently, in this system around which it was based was designed in the 1980s as a phone switching system. So um, they've just complete, they had to shed themselves of that in order to bring about the same stuff that, uh, yeah, everybody else has but been it's doing. A, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a fairly major step for Pro Tools because they have to rewrite essentially all of the underlying kind of audio engine by the sound of things. 
They wrote the whole thing, yeah, from what I can tell. I th- I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think the it's a complete ground up rebuild of the audio engine and the software. Wow. I was very excited by the metering, hmm. but then I realized because I'm an LE user that I don't think that I would get that, would I? I that's think the, the me- no, the, you do no, you I'm get sure. you do get the metering. Uh, you don't get the gain reduction metering. You get the different ballistics. But, but not the additional gain uh, reduction. Not the, not the oh, gain okay. reduction metering. Well, the, the, all those different kinds of metering looked incredibly useful, actually. Yes, I agree. I like that. But they, they, the funny thing is, I'm really excited about this, and it's rather feature light in terms of how it's going to act. As long as it works better, everybody's going to be happy, and that's sort of how they're looking at it. Yeah. I mean, the big, de- the big deal is obviously that now it's AAX all the way. You know, that this is the cutoff, isn't it? It's like from now on, it's kind of, this is all you can oh. do. So. Right, but they're very, uh, I think, somewhat clever anyway about providing new, buy- new purchasers with a license for Pro Tools 10 as well so that people can continue to work on sessions that have RTAS and, T- and TDM plugins. Ah, yeah, that's a, that, that is a smart move. And um, that you can run them side by side and swap sessions between them. So you can do – so if I want to work in Pro Tools 11, but I come up against a situation where I absolutely have to use Imposter 2, for example, I'm going to have to close that session, open it in Pro Tools 10, open up Imposter 2, do what I want to do, make it cool, print it, go back to Pro Tools 11, and continue working. All right, I, Dave. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> But Thank that's the you. thing. I mean, the AAX is a sort of a, another a, a plug-in format too far for a lot of people, I guess. I mean, I, I can't. Well, think... that's why I brought it up, isn't yeah. it? I mean, I can't think. I can't think actually. Aside from that's them calling. Yeah, hold on. What you mean? Imposter two is not going to be AAX? <laughs> Just one second, Dave. <laughs> over to you. <laughs> I've hung you out to dry. Have actually, I? it's quite interesting, and it will be quite funny. When was this announced? Was this like on the Wednesday or something? I think if it was the Wednesday, Thursday we started fielding the questions, and when I answered uh, no, that is not. I mean, I'm not saying never say never. What I'm saying is, is that for the last two years we've dedicated our lives to a 64-bit port, which will be free to registered users. So, at the end of that, and we are very, very close to the end of all of that. Being faced with the idea of revisiting the past yet again to port to another new format is just something that fills all our engineers with. They'd rather go out and hang themselves publicly. <laughs> so we want to do something new. So I've said, actually, having spent two years doing this, it's not on our radar at the moment. That's never to say. That's not to say never. But right now, it doesn't form any part of our immediate plans. So that was on the Thursday, and by Friday, the first hate mail email had come in, which was pretty heavy duty, which kind of bugged me for about 12 hours. But the truth is, you know, we knew about, everybody knew, everybody who wanted to know knew about AAX and Pro Tools 11, what, at least a year, 18 months ago? Mm Mm-hmm. So if you went out and bought a plug-in that was, let's say, in Posca 2, and it was RTAS, and there was no promise of an AAX, you do not have the right to then send me any hate mail if you did not ask me about my plans or our plans at that time. So that's got that off my chest. Good that said, it looked quite interesting, actually, from a kind of pro point of view, particularly the metering. I thought, you know, if you're working in video and film and stuff like that, the metering was very uh, 
Yeah, actually, what they've also done is they've included the sort of video engine from whatever it is their, you know, the their video engine. Well, there's one other point that I really want to make is that Sugarbytes announced a VST to Art, uh, AAX wrapper. Now I know from a million years ago the VST to Artas wrapper met all sorts of resistance from uh, DigiDesign at the time. So it was seemed to have been announced. I think. I don't even know whether it was released. I have a feeling there may have been a few copies sold and then all of a sudden it was withdrawn. So that's another thing I'm saying to people is if you want our stuff as it exists working within AAX, you need to apply pressure on Avid to cooperate with Sugarbytes. <laughs> does that yes, count? Does really? that, oh, sure. Is that like it's a cop-out? That's the solution to it anyway. Oh, sure. <laughs> and the thing is, right, if I go and buy so Pro Tools and then I upgrade story. every single one of my plugins to AAX, that's going to be more than my yearly salary, probably. <laughs> it's just not possible or doable. It's not going to happen. No, I guess not. I mean, it, it all, I mean every um, major you know, upgrade to Pro Tools always res- results in a kind of major, um, you know, uh, inconvenience, shall we say. Financial yeah. or otherwise. That was almost a cube of tumbleweed there, wasn't it? Yeah, there was. There was just a silence. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I think it looks interesting, but as you say, you know, there are there are a number of people who've just sort of gone, yeah, but this, you know, as you say, Mark, you know, hasn't Logic been doing? And Logic is even more long in the tooth than Pro Tools. You know, Logic is even more behind in many ways than... Uh, than, than Pro Tools is in other areas. So, you know, it's like swings around about. And um, th- there was... But as know, long as they retain compatibility, all the plugins I've bought will continue to work in it, won't they? So if Logic gets upgraded and it still supports AU plugins, no problem, right? Yeah, but doesn't Apple have some <laughs> sort of a, uh, a kind of roadmap for not supporting AU plugins in the future? So, oh, yeah, I don't know. Who well, knows? They had a roadmap for not supporting VST plugins, and I've probably got like hundreds and hundreds of pounds worth of VST stuff kicking around, which barely gets used now, I suppose. So, yeah. I suppose it's all, it's all just part of, the, part of the game, really, isn't it, I suppose? But it's just, I don't know, it just seems a tad uncaring of the manufacturers to not sort of think... You know, it's it, it, for them. It's like, oh, well, it's only a six, seven hundred dollar purchase, but it's not really, is it? It's a lot. You know, it amounts to thousands and thousands of dollars when you when you upgrade everything and make sure that everything's running within it, and then your machine, and then your interfaces, and everything else. So, I mean, it just pushes Pro Tools 11 further up the professional curve. I suppose is really ultimately what it's doing. I could get them to spend the money. Sorry, I said I could get them to spend the money. <laughs> I guess it depends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> there is more. I mean, obviously, Portals uh, Eleven was one of the few, uh, one of one, one of the many releases that were that came out of Mesa. But yeah, I mean, bound to be a controversial. Lots and lots of uh, comments on that thread as well. Another popular item. Uh, Mark, was there anything specifically outside of the Korg Volker that you that that caught your eye as well that I can uh, slip into the program? Uh, two things caught my eye like really caught my eye more than anything else. And the first one that I was just like, whoa, whoa, I've got to go shopping, uh, was this uh, mechanical guitar tuner that you bolt onto the top of your guitar mm-hmm. and then you strum your strings and within a few seconds, your guitar is perfectly in tune. But it does alternate tunings as well. So so I can just I, I just tell it I want this and just strum Oh, up. yeah, it's, it's attached to the machine, is it the machine head, guitar, isn't it? I've been doing it for 30-odd years, 
and I'm rubbish at it. I can never get the damn thing to sound in tune or in tune with itself. So I'm, I, I just I don't care how much it costs. That thing I'm going to buy, definitely. Okay, is that the is that the um, the Gibson one that's retrofit? I can't remember. That's one thing it's I haven't a got a video for. Thing, yeah, and I don't remember what it's called. It's on your it's in your news feed. Okay, it's probably one of the things I didn't deal with. So I've I've only got the kind of music tech stuff really here. Um, and then the other thing, the second thing, yeah. is the USB three interface from RME. Is it? Yeah. Mm. That looks very. That's exciting. got Maddie as well, hasn't it? That's. Uh, that yes. Kind of oh exactly. yeah. Yeah. I didn't see. So that. it's a very simple interface. It has two ins and two outs, and it plugs into USB three, and then it's got three channels of Maddie. So it's got a shitload of expandability. Oh. Yeah, that's all right. Load of <laughs> <Beep>. expandability. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that sounded pretty good. I, I don't know what the state of USB 3 is. I mean, I haven't got anything with it on, I suppose. Uh, my laptop is probably just... You do. Have you do, have you been running any re- USB 3 stuff on it? I have. Uh, well, not audio, but uh, <laughs> my time machine drive is USB 3. Ah, okay. And uh, it is, I've got, it's remarkably fast compared to USB yeah. 2. I've got USB 3 on my Mac Mini, and it will it'll move a couple of terabytes of data in like a few hours, really. Whereas in before, if I plugged USB 2 in and tried to copy a 2 terabyte drive, I'd probably be waiting about three days. Mm. So it's very fast, yeah. Yeah, uh, Native VS in the chat room says uh, USB 3 hard disk for loading samples works great. Yeah, it would. Yeah, it would. Sure They're it fast. Would. It's a fast interface. It's a noticeable, noticeable difference. A very respected audio engineer said to me, I predict that this interface will be the death of... Firewire. Maybe so, yeah. What, USB 3? Mm-hmm. Well, Firewire is interface. already just barely kicking anyway. Yeah. yeah. My la- I've been, you know, almost a year with a laptop that doesn't have it. Well, Firewire you 800 is only, <laughs> you, know? you know, Firewire um, 800 is you know, hardly faster than USB 2, really, isn't it? USB 2 sort of lands between 400 and 800, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, if you're lucky. So, so I mean... But that's not to say that Thunderbolt's not going to, you know, if they bring out Thunderbolt drives, then... I've got one of those, too. Yeah, Have you? Next to me. I fancy one. The only thing about Thunderbolt drives is the uh, the cables cost about as much as an external drive. There we go. Rich is sporting his over here, as I've said before. Uh, okay, anything else? Um, Dave, um, did you see anything else that... that Bonafide there? Thunderbolt cable right there. Ah, you got any uh, anything else that you wanted to have a look at? One of the things that I found was particularly interesting, if I might just uh, uh, jump in there, was the CME, um, not the CME stuff, the Copperland stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And this, you know, Copperland is something they've been following for a while. You know, it's a it's a kind of it's a transport for pa- for moving audio and, and control of MIDI packets and all sorts of other packets around the place. But the thing that was quite interesting, they actually had, uh, if I show this, they had a uh, a keyboard on display from uh, CME. That who are making one, so there is actually going to be a piece of hardware with this in, in, on board. I, uh, just give me that a sec. Um, we caught up with Eric, who I've been interviewing at yes. these events for probably Hello, three or four years. Indeed. The thing that's particularly um, interesting is if I go to about here, I think it starts off. Itself. So I have no special files in here. The, the keyboard is uh, clueless about what's around, but grabs it and gets it in real time as soon as it's connected. So bi-directional kind of setup? Yeah. Yes, automatically, yes. By communication intelligently in the background, all automatically. And so, one last feature this I really want to, to let you me, see is using the panel mode where 
any knob may control totally independently anything anywhere in the network. So, for example, I will uh, make some uh, assignments. You see, I have different modes. I will use the browse mode of that one, and I will choose something which is not an instrument. And in this case, I will go into my audio recording board. You see, and I will go into the recording mixer, and then I will select the level, and that's it. And now, when I play this, I change the level of the board up there, which is feeding back the value in dBs with precision, you see. And every knob may go to anything, anywhere, totally independently. Now this is the killer, because this is the uh, resolution of these control keyboards now. All together they go somewhere uh, through virtual so cables and channels and stuff and control, control changes and so on. Of whatever so you where's want. the hub of this? What's the kind of... Uh, I'll stop that there, because uh, I'm not actually... Um, he didn't get to the bit that I was saying. So basically, but what happens now is all of those, that, so the resolution of those knobs is 16-bit plus. So that means you could be controlling uh, plug-in parameters at 16-bit resolution. So MIDI resolution is kind of got, so we're talking sort of what MIDI 2.0 is kind of hoping for. So if one of these uh, controller keyboards is, is uh, plugged in, I mean, obviously it will send MIDI values as well, but you could communicate directly with, say, you know, the filter on, uh, you know, uh, an an Imposca or whatever at very high resolution, so you will the interpolation becomes mm. a no brainer. You don't need to have any interpolation mm. or very little for that, and that sort of stuff sounds quite exciting for very for accessing tweakability. Does that does that kind of make any difference to you, Dave? It's really interesting. I, I know we've been looking at this whole Copperland thing for a while, but that's why I really like coming down here and having a chinwag and being on and contributing this, to this show or listening on this show because. These things get eclipsed by things like the little mini cork things. So I can come down here and have a chinwag, and you can put it all into perspective and tell me how great it is. And then <laughs> I can go, we'll try and have a go at maybe something to do with that. Or... But, yeah, I mean, as... But, yeah, fascinating. As uh, uh, Native VS says in the chat room, so, you know, also it means we're going to have very high-resolution controller faders, for instance, in DAWs and that kind of thing. So those are the sort of things that are going to be interesting or pans or whatever so you've got much tighter control I and mean, that's got to be something that's got to, got to have a, a real impact if it becomes on board and i think that this is now going to be hopefully you know now that somebody's actually making something and people are going because one thing that eric said is you know now there's a keyboard here with a copperland sticker on it and it's made by somebody the manufacturers are starting to go oh actually yeah maybe we should get into this i mean rich do you think that's I mean, that's going to take the world of control into a whole new level, surely. Is that, is that something that you'd well, like to be able to get from your controllers? I guess. I didn't see the video, so I don't know what we're really talking about. But if you're saying higher resolution control, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, basically, it means that uh, a, a Copperland-enabled contro uh, control device will be able to output much higher resolution control data. That then you know in whatever format you're, that the software that is receiving it wants it in. Part of me is always happy to see that happen, and I really do hope it does. And the other part of me thinks that's not what's missing from the music business. <laughs> well, yeah, I take your point there. Well, Maybe they'll fix that too. Whatever it is that's missing, right? You know, and they don't necessarily have to fix it. Not these guys. And I do admire what they're doing, and I like the idea of higher resolution control of things in general. But it's not. I'm not turning the, the knob on my Imp2 controller and going, damn, listen to that MIDI stepping. <laughs> uh, well, no, true, but I, I guess... I, 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 There's I, a downside I, to this as well, I, isn't I, there? I have to admit, I have to say something at this point, and that is I watched the Stephen Slate video, and I thought his thing was 
kind of interesting, but I wasn't massively <laughs> blown away by it. It just seemed like somebody playing around with a touchscreen monitor with a little bit of a macro to sort of control Pro Tools. That's yeah, what it seemed yeah. like to me. Yeah, but I might be it, yeah. missing something. But when he showed me that you can click this button, I won't do his accent actually because I probably can't even come close to doing it. When he showed me you can click this button and you can change the resolution of the fader from naught to minus 60 dB so that it, the entire movement of the fader only makes a difference of a whole dB over the whole range. I just thought, why would you need that? I don't understand why you would need that fine. I don't want to turn something up by half a dB, half a dB or down by half a dB and then sit there riding it. It's like, I, I'll just put a compressor on it and it's sorted, right? <laughs> so I, I just, Somebody explained to me. What's wrong with the music industry? I'm losing some of the subtle nuances, but half a dB on the length of a... Fa- I mean, come on. What, what's that for? Um, pass. Mischief. <laughs> Am I supposed to really want to operate a console paradigm on a piece of glass more than I want to mix with a mouse? Um, yes, Rich, you are, I believe. No, if I don't know. I think I could get into that from playing the iPad. I'm going to have to go back and learn this whole music thing. Controllers on the iPad, I might be able to get the concept of doing it on glass. But it's more the idea that I would want to ride a vocal up and down by half a dB that got to me, because everything's so compressed anyway. I'm never yeah. going to hear it. No, possibly not. I mean, I do recall uh, moving things by, uh, you know, a dB in a mix before it hit the compressor and, and going, oh, yeah, that makes quite a difference. It depends what the level is that mm. you are turning up or down of, I suppose. If I want a big, flat, reflective surface between me and my speakers, it's going to have actual <laughs> faders on it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a Period. very good point. Very good yeah. point. Period. <laughs> not, it's not going to be somebody's coffee soft. table turned at a 45-degree angle. <laughs> That's why I like this Copperland idea, because if you've got all of these things that have got Copperland on it and, net, and they're all networked up, you've got yeah. the ultimate potential fight, haven't you, between, let's say, a, a guitarist or a keyboard player on stage who's got access to that front of house desk, who can turn himself up, who can add all the effects, who can override the front of house engineer. The potential for catastrophe and fights is massive here. <laughs> Well, you can already do that sort of stuff but with they, the, the personas things, you know, where you get access. But but they they're like security groups, so you only get to you know mess with your own sends and your own kind of post, you know, monitoring signals or whatever. And it's the same. Uh, the other stuff that I saw in the flesh was the Behringer uh, X32, the compact stuff, and I started to see how that would work in an installation or whatever. That was really interesting, too. But yeah, the other, the other place you could go with Copperland and a door, of course, is you could set all of your keyboards, which all have knobs on, to control your mix so instead of having a mixing desk in the room at all or instead of having to just rely on the mouse you just create meaningful controllers to you that you can control your mix with and then and with you know high resolution that would be that would be something that'd be quite interesting yeah i guess so yeah there's I, I, and you know there are lots of applications for this and i think I, 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 again there was the elysium uh, modules which have uh, a copperland enabled that they, they, they do copperland enabled kind of midi cv and gate can um uh, kind of a bit like the silent way stuff, but it comes over the uh, Copperland transport, which can be moved long distances over Cat5. Uh, and there was another very interesting pat, um, machine that they did, which was like a, a CV, just a control signal or audio patch bay, which again is controlled. And that, that's, you know, all sorts of very interesting. Mean, that was the one thing that we did see when we went to the Alex4 booth, uh, who's the new European distributor for Buchler, 
and uh, dope fur and various. He's sort of focusing. This is the Schneider's Barrera guy, top chap, um, and he's created a kind of European distribution system so that as he was putting it, you know, these kind of guys like uh, Schwayman and Dopfer who are getting towards their 60s and don't really want to be unloading kind of modules from the uh, factory in, in the rain on a Friday night and then having to test them all. They're going to take all of that stuff away and say, here's 10 modules for you to, you know, randomly select it to, to, to check or what have you. And he's basically created this huge sort of network. And it sounds like a really good idea, but also what he's saying is they're bringing up lots, you know, they're trying to bring up more younger people who are making this stuff so that it's just a continual feed. It's absolutely brilliant. If you get a chance to watch that, um, Andreas Schneider, it's the Alex4 video, and it's just uh, interesting news. And also they, they are, the first for the first time, the Buchler, new Buchler range can now be um, modified, uh, sorry, serviced in Europe so you don't have to send it oh, back wow. to the States. So, you know, that's kind of quite a big deal in terms of synth news. And, then, then, you know, I guess the, the takeaway from Mesa for me was there was quite a lot of synthy stuff, you know, and it felt like it almost eclipsed a lot of the other side of things, which was quite, you know, quite interesting. It's like going back to, as we said, some people were saying it's like Music Mesa 1984. Without the presets. Without the presets. It's, yeah. funny, it's <laughs> funny you should say that because the Korg... Volker, yeah. The demo of that sounded just a little bit like fashions move on to me, <laughs> and I ended up going and watching like a whole load of videos from nineteen eighty two, eighty three, eighty four. And I, when I watched the fashion one, I, I think I watched um, fashion playing move on live on the old grey whistle test, and that guy with the dreads is surrounded by this huge bank of synthesizers and everything, and it's like a dong 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 dong. And I'm thinking, like, wow, I can do that, like, with an iPad or like with one of those tiny little boxes now. Yeah. And that, and in a way, doesn't that kind of take away something that was cool about having all, too many synths on stage and being surrounded by them? Because that was. I mean, yeah, that it was doesn't look quite so good. I, although, if you were right? surrounded by iPads, it would kind of might look kind of cool these days. Well, it I could mean, look. Be, yeah, you... it's a pretty you know it's a pretty major status signal. Uh, a couple of other things to mention. Obviously, Nordlead Four. Um, we got a first look of that. Um, went in on the Tuesday. That was that sounded pretty cool. And one thing um, that I really liked about it, there was the if you went to Nordlead4.com, they had a kind of uh, ambient loop playing until the announcement was made. And it, that was all made on the Nordly phone. And it sounded really lovely, actually, I have to hmm. say. That it did sound good. Although, once again, no aftertouch on a flagship polysynth. Seems a little bit of an oversight. You can put your own waveforms in that synth, can't you? A Nordlead 4, I'm not so sure about that. He didn't mention that um, uh, at the time, so I'm not sure if that's the case. Oh, was it the Nord, the other Nord that's just come out? Yeah, the, the piano the ones. The performance that, one. Yeah, the, I would think that would be the case. Uh, what else did we see there? Um, oh, yeah, the um, that was cool. Did uh, did you get a chance to check out the um, the Yuhi Satin tape emulation? That was pretty nice. And that that's a tape emulator that's got... Um, oh, let me see if I can quickly put it up, because I'm going to have to wrap it up fairly soon. Um, let's see if I can play this quickly. A studio machine. It's basically a tape emulation where you can get under the hood and do all the kind of bias and the, the kind of stuff that you used to need a special um, jeweler's screwdriver to set the machine up in certain ways. So you can do that in software on this machine if you so desire. But it's also got um, some really cool features where you can run it as a, um, a tape delay and a flanger. And there was one of the flanger modes that was just really cool, actually, that's got like a one-shot. like you. So you get one, you can set one bar of a cycle. It's uh, on, my, on my working machine, it's not. 
to the regular I don't know. This is uh, the right channel set. Oh, yeah. There we go. Yeah. So it's got a one trigger mode. Yeah, of course. Uh, you can sync it to, to tempo. Anyway, I, I'm not sure if that was uh, all that thrilling, but it, it did sound really, really good. Are you, are you feeling the blues there, Rich? Absolutely. <laughs> um, but that was good, and that's actually where I saw uh, Howard Scar was on there. He spent the entire time like this in front of his laptop, just sort of programming patches on zebra as far as i can tell <laughs> <laughs> it's just work 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 you know it was well, uh, just easier than talking about. yeah um what else was there i'm just trying to find if there's any other things that really caught my eye and i'm, I'm kind of oh yeah the um sm pro audio 500 series now they've started to expand on that range and that's looking really nice actually there's one thing that they've got uh there's a a variable phase module, so you can tune the phase of whatever at your, <laughs> your mic, which you know you could do on certain consoles, but it's not a, a, or you could do in plugins, I guess. Um, there's also the variable, uh, what's it called? The variable um, impedance mic pre, which that was kind of cool. I don't know well, if that, that you could do that on a few things. Oh, Rich, what what would be the kind of application for something like that? Can, because you, you can quite radically change the tone of a mic by tweaking the impedance, right? Well, it's funny you should mention it because I just got a uh, radial DI called PZDI, which has variable impedance on the input. And it's intended for, <laughs> for uh, piezo pickups. But I'm looking forward to using it on a vast array of guitar tones that he presents me, with, uh, particularly with these hollow body guitars and stuff. So I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I'm just about to start exploring this in, uh, variable input impedance yeah. lifestyle. Uh, well, no, I'd be interested to know what you what you think about that, and I'm and I'm really keen to try the variable impedance uh, SM Pro Audio mic pre's because of the, you know, it'll drive ribbons as well. But you, what you, what he was just saying is, what's cool about it is you can actually make it wrong so it makes the character of the mic sound completely different to what it is so you almost get like a, a tilt eq or bias to to the sound of it but there's also the kind of sweet spot where it sounds as good as it possibly can which that's uh, particularly with microphones i'm guessing that's going to be quite an interesting uh, concept yeah i had one of these years ago uh, avalon had variable impedance on their uh, mic pre yeah okay uh, what else have we got um I can't think of much. Oh, the soft tube. Actually, did you see this? The oh, channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was kind of cool. I'll play that quickly because I'm going to have to go in a show. So this was pretty cool. This is the soft tube. Uh, I think it's called console. Hi, guys. I'm Nicholas from Soft Tube, and we have a nice new thing here for you. It's Soft Tube's first hardware. Console one. The console right. one. And what we've done is taken a large format console taking the workflow from that, put that into a portable, nice, hands-on unit that works with every door. It's like a channel script, right? It's like a channel script, but if you take a look at the screen here, you see all the different channels down here at the bottom. So with this unit, you can control the snare, the toms, the hi-hat, anything you want. Just go to the EQ, add some high gain on the hi-hats, work with the overheads, you can group them, you can duplicate tracks, you can do... Now that seems to me like a really blindingly obvious but so far unexplored um, piece of territory. And I know Softube makes some really kind of quite good plugins. It's an expensive piece of kit, but the idea that you can have 
like an entire channel strip. You just hit the button on the channel. So you've essentially got, you know, what you would get on a large format console in front of you. Seems like if you haven't got, obviously, a large format console in front of you, seems like quite a good idea. I don't know, Rich, are you sceptical or does this sound like an interesting idea? It sounds like a really interesting idea. I'd like to see it. I didn't, as I, as I said, I don't see the videos that you're showing them. Oh, so really? So I'm you're get- not getting the video back? Oh, I'm sorry about that. That's... Um, but essentially, it's it's kind of like a USB controller. It's got uh, it is quite expensive. It's like eight hundred euros, uh, but it's got four hundred low power LEDs in it. It's got really beautiful metering. It's got these kind of uh, the the scaling around all the parts. But the idea is is it runs like a master plugin, which then allows you to select individual channels in your mix. So you just kind of, it's got basically a, tr- a channel count across the entire top of it. So you've got 32 buttons. So you can say, I want to work on channel 24, which might be the snare or whatever. And then you're immediately tweaking it. And it works within whatever door you're in. And th- at the moment, they've got like a 4K pack, uh, which I'm guessing is an SSL type mm-hmm. channel strip. But they're going to do others. So you can kind of buy plugins that will have other flavors and then control it from this control. And it's it actually, although it sounds very expensive, I think it, it's, it's a beautifully made thing. And it kind of, it could really enhance the workflow. I don't know, Mark, is that sort of sort of thing that thrills you? Sorry. <laughs> Asleep. Sorry about that. The thing Mark. is, I look, these things always thrill me and they look really impressive when you invite girls into your studio and go, would you like a <laughs> cup of tea? And you sit them down in front of it and they go, wow, there's a lot of knobs on that. What do, do they all do? And yeah. then you can, you've got a starting point for like a really good conversation, right? Or not, maybe. But, <laughs> but the thing is, of all those things that I've ever bought, even even the little diddy ones, what happens with me is I always end up sitting in front of the screen just tweaking stuff with the mouse, and I might throw something off on a keyboard controller from time to time if I really want to, like, you know, get kind of tactile, but they just sit there and they never get used. So, I you know... I don't know how I would integrate it into my mindset. Well, it only works with the, it only works with the Atari soft... and not having a, you know. It only, like it only works with the soft tube stuff because that's what it's designed to do. I'm sure it would throw out MIDI CC that you could do elsewhere, but the idea is is the sort of. Uh, well, even that. You... Well, even for that, I, you know, mm. any of that, none of it. Okay. All right. Well, I, I'm going to have to. Um, Call it, bring, bring I didn't the show see the it. picture actually. Maybe it wasn't what I was thinking it was. I don't know. You'll have to have a check. You can obviously see all of this uh, stuff on the website. We've got a last last counted. It's four hours and thirty nine minutes of videos from Music Mesa. Wow. So if you've got a half day spare and you fancy catching up and see what the latest music technology wow. is, including interviews with people like uh, we did an interview with. Uh, Fumi Amida, who's the one of the co-inventors of the MS20, that was pretty good. I enjoyed talking to him. Who gave me this rather smashing little? The uh, thing that I was talking about, Nick, was called Tronicle. Oh, I don't know. Tronicle that... tuning oh, yeah, okay. technology, and it's in your Mesa guitar section. Okay, thank you. This is the uh, book he gave me, which is a replication of the original Sort Korg How to Program, and he signed it for me as well, so I feel kind of quite honoured that it's one of those nice things. But I want to, we have to say goodbye, because uh, the reason the show was today is because I'm taking my daughter to see One Direction tomorrow at the Birmingham Woo-hoo! NEC, uh, which is, a for those of you who don't know, is about as kind of arch-teeny-pop as you can get. So uh, we'll have to see how that works. But... I want to say thank you for everybody to coming. So, uh, Mark Tinley, thank you for joining us. Uh, I appreciate that, considering you're laid up and all. So, uh, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> no, <laughs> maybe we'll see you next time. So, hopefully, next time we'll be yeah. uh, we'll be back to Wednesday, our usual slot. Excellent. 
Okay. Uh, also, I want to say thank you very much to Rich Hilton for joining us uh, on this unusual day. It's our first ever Tuesday podcast, I think. It's a first for us. Is that a it's Tuesday? unusual indeed. A Tuesday riff. <laughs> anyway, Little thanks, blues Rich. in the show. So, Rich will be uh, uh, popping off to probably do something in a major studio. Wax a hottie, play the blues. Wax a hottie, and then I'll make a record. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Rich. And also, Mr. Dave Spears, G4 Software, who's with me in the studio here. Um, thanks for coming down. Been a pleasure to see you. Thank you. No, it's been good. And that's it for Sonic Talk number two, uh, 309. Thanks very much for watching.